What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We are live. One, two, What's up, everybody? Welcome to West by Pod, podcast about WVU sports, the Big 12 Conference, and turning the page. I'm Joel Bracken, at WVStatsGuy on Twitter. I'm joined by Jordan Pinto, at GameDayShorts on Twitter. And uh, yeah, this is the, the end of the college football season for the West Virginia Mountaineers. Not for all teams, but um, wrapped it up this weekend in Stillwater. Um, we got a lot to talk about, honestly, in this episode, we got basketball, you know, we'll talk about the Oklahoma state game and then sort of what's next, because there are still lots of questions in the the football program, um, players, coaches, uh, athletic director, lots of stuff. Um, then we're going to do our final season grades. Um, so walk through all of our position groups, talk about where we think they grade out, do our big 12 recap, and then talk a little conference championship game. So. Jordan, we got a lot on our plate today. Um, you want to start with the basketball team? Yeah, I think that's a beautiful place to start because holy shit, we're good again. Like, yeah. wow, I, you know, we've kind of been hesitant to uh, to put any kind of cap on like what we think this team's potential might be, and I'm still I'm still uh, gonna slow play where I think their ceiling is. Um, but man, after this weekend, you know, we were kind of waiting for, for this tournament to, to get a real sense of it. And I don't know how you can come out there, come out of the tournament. not feeling like really, really good about what we saw. You know, we, we played Purdue as tough as anybody. Apparently Purdue's the best team in the country. Um, in, in that case, like, how are we not top five, you know, but no, but, but, you know, we, we, we rallied from the Purdue loss. We beat the hell out of Florida yesterday. And, and again, yeah, I don't, I don't know really what the what the ceiling is yet we still have uh jose perez to dust off, dust off he's sitting over on on the shelf just just raring for a go but man the floor feels floor feels so much better than than i expected it to be when you're looking at this team and you know there's what seven eight transfers who are going to be playing big roles and it's just it's crazy it's crazy how quickly it's come together 
Yeah, I think an eventful weekend. I think it caught a lot of eyes because, you know, you lose the Purdue game and you get within striking distance with a few minutes to go, but can't really complete the comeback. I think the team showed a lot of fight and you could tell from that game alone that, okay, like this team is, is you know, you're, you're going to stay in games. You're going to be able to fight even when things get tough. And then the next two days happen where Purdue completely houses Gonzaga and Duke. And you learn yep. that we played them closer than both of those teams. And, you know, the Portland State game, whatever. But, you know, we play Florida and, and you see this element of like killing a team, like burying a team that we have like not had in a while. Um, you know, they sort of lingered there, got back into the game right around halftime, I think cut it to single digits. And then, I mean, we just, you know, stepped on the throat. So it was, I think this is just a whole different energy around this team. Um yeah, I don't know. This is so up to Ken Palm number, I think, 29 and, you know, started the season at 73. So a big jump. I mean, the Big 12 is going to be crazy. You know, you got to every night's going to be a battle. Ken Palm has us as a projected record of 19 and 12 now. I think that's getting you in the tournament, no doubt. Um, oh, you know, yeah. go, go nine and nine in conference. And, you know, I think that Florida game was a was a good resume when, you know, come March, if, if we're in that kind of position. But um you know what what do you think is there anything like pinpoint that is different you know between this year and the last year or two um anything stands out major to you uh, i i think it's the, there's a swag factor to us this year um where you know like you said we 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 kind of we kind of have a little bit of that killer instinct you know we have the, that nyc mentality you know we've got out and we've gotten some dudes from new york city from the five boroughs and uh come back and it's it's brought a little bit of an edge to our game um, where you say, I, I think it was a, what, like a 20 to two run to start the second half that just blew the game open. And then from there, it was just, it, I don't even want to say cruise control. Cause we, we even extended the lead from there. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's that we have that swag. We have a little bit of an edge. Um, it seems like we can beat and play teams in a variety of ways. Uh, you know, like I think just with, with the combination of dudes, uh, that we have and the, and the depth that we have. You know, we we have dudes who can shoot threes. We have we have four. I feel good about four of all four of our bigs. You know, Wagi, uh, Jimmy Bell, um, uh, Sumnick, uh, uh, Oconquo. Uh, all four of those guys, I, I feel comfortable playing them. Um, you have dudes like Stevenson and Mitchell, who it feels like can you can throw it to either of those guys, and they can at least get you a shot, even if it's not for themselves. They're going to get the team a quality shot pretty much any possession. Um, and yeah, no, I just, I, I think that, I think it's that, I think it, we're, we're, we're deep, we're versatile and we have that edge, uh, that we, that we just haven't had the last couple of years. Yeah. I think the depth is crazy because it really gives you that opportunity to find the hot hand, find the hot, you know, group night in and night out. And that's something that's going to be major in the conference play is, you know, you, there are very, very few players, you know, maybe somebody like Trey Young or Buddy Heald or, you know, there's very few players who night in, night out in the Big 12 are going to be able to, you know, produce at a super high level. Um, and having, yeah, just like the the wealth on the bench to, to cycle through. And like you mentioned, we have another potentially great addition that hasn't even seen the floor yet. Um, so I think that's going to be massive come conference play because you just know how it is. It's a bloodbath. And by mid to, to late February, you know, you're just tired. You've been playing two difficult games. And we have to, you know, I think have that slight disadvantage of all the extra travel too. So, you know, having having lots of bodies is awesome. The one thing that's really stood out to me and, you know, a lot of the analytics stuff agree is the, the shooting. And we're still early in the season. Competition hasn't been fantastic, but this is an 
fantastic shooting team for a Bob Huggins coach team. Um, right now, an effective field goal percentage, like I said, it's still very early. This number is going to come down, but we are substantially higher than any Bob Huggins West Virginia coach team. Like it's like multiple percentage points higher than any team he's ever had. We're like above the beeline era teams. It's going to come down like whatever, but that's something that we have not seen like that ability to, you know, get offense going. And as we play better defenses, that's what I'm going to be interested to see is, you know, I feel like we are notorious for going through these cold streaks and just cannot find a bucket. And I wonder if we got enough guys that we could shoot our way out of slumps, um, which I feel like has been one of the main issues with, you know, Huggins coach teams um, over the years. So yeah, this, this team's exciting. I think this is like the welcome surprise kind of out of nowhere. There's like, Oh, like you should pay attention to the basketball team this year. Uh, you know, I think the, the college sports gods owed us after the last, you know, yeah. couple years of WV basketball, the way that our football season went this year, we, we were, we were due, um, you know, something like this. And so it's, it's nice to see that this early in the season, God, you know, shields up classic Mountaineer fan where now it's like, are the expectations getting too high where we've looked really, really good and uh, you're just setting ourselves up to get hurt at some point in the future. But you know what? I'd rather have that kind of a feeling than than the the hope and the the apathy and despair that we have about football. So um, definitely we'll take it where I can get it right now. But yeah, the basketball, they, they look good. They look good. Yeah. Yeah. I guess reminder for expectations is we were picked to finish last in the conference. And, uh, you know, it's probably always somewhere in the middle of, of what you think at the beginning. And, and then you're, 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 you know, blue and gold colored glasses at this point so you know i think we're going to be able to compete and that's you know that's enough that it's like i'm going to be yep. tuning in once we get some good competition and, and see where this team's at but um yeah so in a weird way on a, on a flip of the coin but you know i don't know after this weekend it's hard to say i think things are getting muddy the football team you know goes into stillwater a place where nobody has had success for multiple seasons actually at this point um, they had one of the longest home winning streaks in the country. West Virginia hadn't beat them since 2014. And a game that, you know, even halfway through the season, you'd say we had no business winning. We're down to our third string quarterback from the start of the year, our fourth string running back. You know, injuries on the offensive line. It downpours pretty much the entire game. And you somehow come out with a win. I mean... <laughs> It's I feel like it just almost muddies the water of like, what do you have to say or think about this team now that the season's wrapped up? Um, yeah. A any thoughts about the game? I think you kind of you kind of hit on it. You, have, you just have to ask the question. If it was 40 degrees and rainy every week would be would be be undefeated. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I we're two and oh in those conditions. So I don't really feel how how you can dispute that fact. Um, or that opinion or theory or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, no, it's, I mean, it looked, uh, you know, I said the, the Oklahoma game two weeks ago was probably some of the worst weather I've ever uh, sat through and watched a game. And boy, did this look even worse. I mean, it was just pouring. Winds were swirling. I think you mentioned we only threw for, for 77 yards. But I mean, holy shit, Garrett Green keeps doing Garrett Green stuff. The guy's, the guy's ridiculous. We got our first uh, extended look at Nico and – you know, again, the passing wasn't all that spectacular uh, playing playing in a borderline hurricane. Um, but I did like what I, I mean. He he picked up a couple first downs with his legs. He clearly has a little bit of an it factor about him um, that that makes the, the guys around him uh, kind of rally and play harder. Kind of the same same little bit of like bring your own juice kind of factor that, that Garrett has. 
And then, holy shit, Jalen Anderson. And, you know, it's it's like example, what, 12,456 in the Neil Brown era of like, we, we couldn't have figured out a way to get this guy on the field before this week yeah. or before last week, you know? And so it's, it's so encouraging because like, I actually think like my opinion is, is he, you know, CJ is a force of nature um, in a way that Jalen is not. But I, I think Jalen plays running back at a higher level than anybody else on our team. And I know it's a small sample size to be saying that, but like the way, I mean, he can hit it quick. He can hit it patient where he's like stringing these dudes out and then like kind of almost baiting linebackers into under pursuing. He gets the corner, um, makes the first dude miss in the hole. He always falls forward. It's like, holy shit, like this guy's doing some like really high level running back stuff that nobody else on our team is really doing. And yeah, I just don't understand how <laughs> we don't see him until <laughs> until yeah. the last game of the season. Yeah, I mean, you know, even the conditions, even for a run, you know, you think you're going to be more running heavy, but not necessarily explosive runs. You know, you think it's just going to be hard to get your footing, all that. The one run, I think it was the 57 yard one. The, the patience he had yeah. waiting for the hole to develop where he kind of just worked laterally for a little bit, wasn't panicked, wasn't rushed. He waited for the hole to develop and just took it. I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was like a high level running back play where you yeah. definitely could see another person who might be a freshman or whatever, get the ball there and just panic, lean into the line, you know, get two yards, whatever. Um, yeah. He averaged over 10 a carry. Yeah. Um, you chip in Garrett Green averaging almost eight and Nico averaging over five. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the running game was just insane. You got, and just having, you know, it's such a nice change after the last few years of having, you know, we had two different quarterbacks who could run the ball and that was an option. Um, it just opens up the playbook so much. I'm really impressed with Nico Markiel for his age that he can take the blows. Like he's big enough to, you know, get in there and run physically. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, he's built. Uh, he doesn't have a, a, a super ton of muscle tone yet, but you can tell that he's he's a thick boy. You know, a couple mm. C's at the end there. Um, guy's got a thick lower half, uh, and yeah, excited to see. I mean, you know, I guess this is the what's what's next section. Excited to see how he develops if he decides to stay, which I really hope he does. Because um, yeah, I mean, you said it. You, it. It's it's crazy that we've been running this offense where it feels like seventy five percent of the running plays and probably twenty five percent of the passing plays have some form of. I'm going to stick it in the running back's gut for half a second before I really decide what's about to happen here. And we've been doing that with, with Austin Kendall, who, who underrated athlete, but not as good of an athlete as obviously Mark Eel and definitely not Garrett Green. But mm-hmm. yeah, we, you know, Austin Kendall, Jared Deggie, and, and JT Daniels is our quarterback, where it's like, you know, at some point the pieces don't really fit what we were trying to do there. And for the last three weeks, they have. And, and you can see it's not always going to be better. Like it's still, it, you know, there are plenty of quagmires, but there's a uh, a gash factor or like an explosiveness factor with these guys over the last couple of weeks that just hasn't been there. Um, definitely over the last two months, mm-hmm. you know, um, where it's just it's one more thing for people to worry about. I, I really, you know, we were talking about it in the chat after the game. If you're recruiting Peyton Manning, if you're recruiting Tom Brady, then OK, then you can you know, maybe you don't really need to, to have mobility in your quarterback, but we're not recruiting those guys. Like the way that we play football, the level of quarterback that we're recruiting, I, I, I don't like Nico Marchio is, is the bare minimum level of athleticism, in my opinion, to be playing quarterback at the, at the level that we're competing at. So mm-hmm. I don't, yeah. I mean, what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, it's an interesting point. And it's funny. I was watching, or I had it on kind of in the background, um, the Sunday night football game 
last night. And I think Al Michaels talked about how, you know, if you don't have a mobile quarterback at this point in the NFL, are you actually at a disadvantage? Whereas like it used to just be like, oh, we have a mobile quarterback. And when he said that, and I pay a lot more attention to college, I was like, well, yeah, like you, everyone has a mobile quarterback. And when you think across the Big 12, everyone pretty much has a mobile quarterback except us for the last handful of years. <laughs> Dude, that you know? drove, me, drove me nuts, man. Neil is like, he's one of these guys who can run it and throw it. And it's like, no, he's not one of those guys. Like everybody has those guys. We're the, we're the team that doesn't have that guy. Exactly. We're, we're the team who has one of those guys who can't. Who can't, that, yeah. That's going to, you know, shift it to. So I'm totally on board with, you know, the, you know, having the athletic guy that just opens up your playbook. And it doesn't always have to be with their legs. I know I mentioned it a week or two ago, but, you know, there are plays where just the threat of running keeps the zone honest. It keeps the man, you know, in that conflict. If the guy gets out of the pocket, you know, you've, you, don't, you don't know what the next move is. And I think that's pretty valuable. So, um yeah, I mean, we got a nice quarterback room that I'm sure a lot of teams in the country, um, you know, would like to have four dudes who are probably competent. Um, most likely you have two of them, you know, come fall next year, I would guess. You know, you're probably going to, I mean, I imagine JT's gone. I think that's probably pretty likely. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I really, I don't, same, same as, you know, with the last three games. I don't think you can go back at this point. Um when clearly it's it's so much more exciting and um you know so much more explosive with 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 Garrett especially but but probably mm-hmm. with Nico as well you know if the conditions are uh, anything approaching <laughs> uh, fair outside so yeah um, I mean I mean you mentioned it but like would we be undefeated if every game was played in these conditions these conditions actually highlight our skill sets which are. They can't burn us in the secondary. Like how many balls were dropped in this game and the Oklahoma game that probably would have burned us. But the conditions like just totally tamper down that style of gameplay. And then you throw out mobile quarterbacks. We had a deep running back room. And, you know, like this was like, okay, there are pieces and this could work. Clearly we have to fill in those gaps because, um, you know, I think both the Oklahoma teams would have probably thrown for a lot more yards. But um yeah, I don't know. It's it was a it's a funny way to end the season. All in all, like I'm super happy for like Dante Stills and the seniors and all that. Um, it's just funny because you go in and win a game, you have no business winning. I know Oklahoma State. You know they were throwing a freshman out there, and um, you know they're dealing with injuries and, and whatever's been going on. But um, yeah, weird, weird way to end the season. And we used to say a couple weeks ago that Neil was making the hard part easy, and he's pulling you back in. And you watch his presser, and he does it every time as well. Making making the easy part harder. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean it's just like to to absolutely uh put on my Neil Brown hat for a second here. If you if you told me that we were gonna beat Virginia Tech and beat Baylor, the defending conference champions, and we're gonna sweep the Oklahoma schools, I felt like I had a pretty good shot to have a good season there. And yep. uh here we are, bowl ineligible. I don't want to go to a five and seven bowl. Fucking kill me. Um and it doesn't seem like that we are, so that's fine. But yeah, it's <laughs> What what a what a fitting end to the season, and it, you know if if it is, and maybe this is the segue to the next section. If this is the end of the Neil Brown era, what a fitting end to the Neil Brown era. Like, thank you, Neil Brown, for breaking a pair of streaks, um, beating Tech yeah. twice, beat the conference champions, and yeah, tip yeah, my cap, brother. Yeah, when you when you said that, I mean, just those teams that we beat. You know, you win a win a rivalry trophy game, and Baylor and Oklahoma State were in the championship last year. And I'm pretty sure Oklahoma finished third. So we beat the top three teams from last year, and we lost to every other team in the conference, which is just like you cannot wrap your head around 
how that works, especially at the beginning of the season, if you told us those things. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, we've said it. I like Neil Brown. Neil Brown's a nice guy. Neil Brown gets it. He's a perfect fit. I think Shane Lyons mentioned in his uh, chat today with Hoppy that he's a great, excellent fit for this position. And unfortunately, the most important thing is winning games, and he hasn't done enough of that. Um, the state-run media, and Hoppy said this today. He, uh, I think maybe it was on Three Guys or something, but he said that he thinks it's very unlikely that Neil gets fired at this point, which is, you know, I feel like two weeks ago we were everyone was on the opposite. Like, there's no way he survives this. Um, you know, that maybe that's just an open-ended question, but, um, you know, you see other teams making moves now, Auburn, I think Nebraska, you know, there's a couple teams that Wisconsin are Wisconsin today. Yeah. Wisconsin. So there's, there's schools making moves, picking dudes up. These things don't exist in a vacuum. It's like, well, you got to get a coach. And is there a guy out there that we would rather have than what we have in place? You know, like, you know, obviously it would shake things up that are in place and, um, I mean, I would gladly take the money they pay to make these decisions, but this is a tough decision to make like that. You know, there will be people upset on both sides, no matter what decision is made. Um, so I don't know. How, how are you feeling about that? Yeah, I, I definitely don't envy the people uh, who who are making the decisions. I think the thing I'd say about the Shane just real quickly is, is it, I, you know, he said enough things today that I think firing him was probably the right call um, where, you know, just some some out of touch stuff about the NIL uh, environment, uh, the, the, the comment about how this is really year two for Neil, where it's like, no, it's, it's not like, I mean, you can have that, you can have that fantasy in your head, but like, you can't, I don't know where it just feels like it's a little bit out of touch with like the current landscape of college football. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, you I mean, can't, you can't <laughs> sell me year two when TCU yeah. fired a guy who they have a statue built for and year zero dude, you're yeah. one dude is most likely taking them to the playoffs. Like that was an out of touch thing to say, like given yeah. this year. Yeah. Um, and you know, you have the same thing where, you know, Kansas, Kansas is, is actually in year two, um, ball eligible for the first time in, in 15 years or whatever. Um, you know, there's, there's a handful of examples across the country. So yeah, not the, not, not exactly the best time to, to be trying to sell anybody that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, it really, it feels like, <clears throat> I mean, nothing's going to happen until we have an AD, right? And so the longer that that goes and the closer we get to early signing day, the more likely it feels that, you know, maybe nothing is going to happen. And I don't know. I mean, I'm going to hate myself for saying this. I know that that you and and especially me, uh, I think we were we were cramponed on to the climb. We were kind of just sitting, chilling in our little tent on the side of the mountain, like weathering the storm, like the wind's blowing outside on the side of Everest. And we're just, just sitting in there with our hot chocolate and whatever. But uh like I, I would not riot. I, I mean, I think Neil probably should be fired, and it's probably the right move and the right time for the program. But if he's not, I'm not going to go crazy. You know, yeah. I can I, like I think I could talk myself into another year of it. Of course, I'm going to hate when we start one and three. I'm going to want to jump off a bridge, and I'm going to also be holding like the biggest pitchfork of the mob as we like go to sacrifice Neil on an altar in front of the mountain there. But. I don't know. I mean, like he just keeps roping me back in. I think you see stuff like you see Jalen Anderson, you see Garrett Green, you see Nico Marchio, uh, you see CJ if he comes back. And it's just like there's a lot of pieces on this team where, um, you know, we've been saying like, okay, so he's recruiting better, but what does that mean? And it's like, well, we just beat Oklahoma State with like our third string quarterback and our fourth string running back. And like 
all this shit. And so, yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's your recruiting, there's your recruiting, right? Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. Go ahead. Uh, Actually, that brings up a point I was thinking about too, of, um, generally speaking, better recruiting teams do better as the season wears on because like the main thing is like depth, you know, like a Texas or an Oklahoma, like they just got four stars sitting around. And when guys go down to, you know, West Virginia, you lose guys. And sometimes that's too, too much. And we just beat Oklahoma and Oklahoma state in the final quarter of the season, which, which to me was, was actually in hindsight, a big statement about depth because other than maybe the receiving room, there's not a unit on the offense that is healthy. We are deep into the depth chart on, you know, the quarterback room, the running back room, the offensive line, yep. you know, defense all over the place. But, um, then, you know, yeah, that, that I think that does say something. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is that we get really fixated on this win total, you know, like five wins, six wins, seven wins, whatever. And, you know, the difference between a win or two, I'm not talking about on the field, maybe more in terms of like schedule, like the... College football is weird to me because you get 12 data points. Like college basketball, it all comes out in the wash. You play 30 games. You play like everyone in your conference twice. Like, you know, you don't like, not that you can dodge people in the big 12 football either, but, you know, you say when we start one and three, well, we open at Penn State, which like there are a few, you know, they're going to be a top 10 team and that's just what it is. And then we're going to play Pitt. We just, you know, I think we talked about right before we came on air, you know, Pitt limped to eight wins this year. Um, I, <laughs> and and Slovis was almost run out of town. Like Pitt fans cannot stand Slovis and, you know, they're deep in their quarterback room as well. Um, you know, the difference between another Power 5 conference and, you know, sub out your, your out-of-conference schedule for an easier team and, like, you know, what would this team have done with Pitt's schedule? I'm just curious. Would it be a seven win? Would it be an eight win? And then the conversations flip. But the reality is we're going into next season with like, if it's Neil, you got to have the seat. Like there's no more buying time. Like it's got to be the season. We open at Penn State and we have Pitt. Then all the Big 12 who is all, you know, doing all right right now. So yeah, they're going to be fine. It's Yeah, it's tough. It's just like, that's the thing. I think just keeping context of like, look at Pitt's team. We clearly matched up almost evenly with them. And, you know, they, they had plenty of struggles and they got to eight wins in the ACC. Um, you know, it's 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 just interesting because I just wonder what this team would do in an environment like that. Yeah, I think our, our I think our what's next conversation would be more around like, are we going to be top 25 to start the season next year? Um, as opposed to like, what the hell are we are we going to do with ourselves? Um, <clears throat> I guess this is, a, this is a question for you. So. We, we, we keep say we keep dragging our feet here. We, we hire an AD, um, maybe not before early signing day. And so it's like, I mean, would you be okay? So we say we bring Neil back and instead of firing him, the AD's first move is like very publicly, okay, we're going to restructure your contract. We're going to restructure your buyout. There's going to be performance incentives and like, your, your contract is only guaranteed if you win eight games next year. Fully guaranteed. Sorry. And then, you know, say if we go 500, then, okay, you know, you're, you're only 50% guaranteed of your contract if we decide we want to move on at that point. Like, I mean, would you be okay, like, going back to Neil, say we have, like, some sort of restructured buyout? Or, I mean, do you think that, I mean... I would be fine with a restructured buyout. I think that is... Um, 
you know, that, that might change things a little bit. I think either way, no matter what, if Neil is the coach next year and it isn't the best season by, you know, under him, I think that's it. Like if he can't yeah. get to seven or eight wins next year. And like I said, you're, you're already wedged with the schedule, but like you, you can't just keep the schedule doesn't get better. We have like Bama on a couple of, you know, we have some like crazy out of conference. We have teams. Penn State again the year after that. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, yeah, it doesn't get any easier. But at some point you got to turn the corner. And if the corner doesn't get turned, I think if you restructure the buyout or not, you know, I think I wonder if the AD publicly comes out and, you know, is like, hey, like this is the expectation. And like there isn't like if you're two balances away, it's like, no, if you do not hit this win total, um, you know, that's it. If it's not eight wins counting the bowl game or nine wins counting the bowl game or or whatever it is. I mean, yeah. You know, like I said, out of conference schedule is doing us no favors. It's fun. It'd be really fun if we were good if we were playing all these types of teams. <laughs> but you know, it, when you're when you're limping through things, it's just another like, well, our win total is going to be lower because you know we're actually out here playing teams instead of like the Citadel or whatever. So, yeah, I don't know. The thing I'd say so if Neil comes back, I'd like to see the buyout restructured based on based on performance. Uh, and then in terms of on the field stuff, we need to like completely overhaul our approach to the portal. Like, you know, I get where we're like Charles Woods worked out. Like how many guys really from FCS to Charles Woods and Jasir Cox? Like those are the two, um, out of however many FCS, FCS guys we've tried through the portal, like save the diamond and the rough stuff for, for high school recruits. Cause those are the kind of guys that we're probably going to be, be pulling anyways for the portal. Like, Bet on bet on pedigree, right? Like, why are we not like just any P five team that lost their coach? Any P five team where it's like, you know, Ohio State, Clemson. Like, Lin J Dixon is the kind of person we should be targeting. I know he didn't work out at all because he's a, a lunatic, but that's mm-hmm. the kind of guy we should be targeting in the portal. Is is the former four star, the former five star, who you know is either young and is not getting the playing time that he wanted right away, or is getting older and has been surpassed on the depth chart by another four or five star. And so he's not getting the playing time that he wants to try and, you know, make that jump to the NFL. Like these are the kind of guys like lean into that, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm so sick. Like love the FCS. It's very entertaining, but you know, we're not, we're not Troy. Like we're not a Sunbelt team. This is, this is like, we're, we're playing against P five teams with P five players. We like, that's who we need to be putting on the field. So yeah, things you never thought you said, you, you never think you would say, uh, but maybe Bob Huggins needs to have a seminar on the transfer portal um, because he went out and found dudes who were high quality from other power conferences who contributed and fit the mold. I mean, obviously, Neil Brown's not going to be able to sell the, the prestige of coaching that Bob Huggins is able to sell. But Bob Huggins in one season went and completely refreshed a team catered it exactly to his style and is playing exactly the type he wants. And I'm just not, I'm not sure you can't do that anyway. Like I think, you know, you want to get the skill guys, but I think especially we've talked about it a million times, identity, you can cater and go find the type of player that you want. Um, and, and that's, that's this new, you know, this new environment, you know, part of the thing with Shane Lyons is, you know, maybe a little, out of touch or just maybe you know he was on the compliance side of things not understanding nil all this stuff i think same for a head coach you got to have this understanding now of like this is the way it is you can't be you know oh this new way it's great you gotta embrace it and you gotta make it work for you it's there's a lot of things lots of things in life that you might not agree with but you have to you know like you have to 
use it to your advantage and, and make it work because other teams are doing it. So yeah. um, you can go out and get guys. Cheat while cheating is legal, man. Say, hey, we we saved four million dollars on Neil's buyout this year. Uh, that is directly allocated to anybody who wants to come through the transfer <laughs> portal to our school. We have four million dollars waiting um, to be allocated as as required. So, yeah. hey, you know, send the tweet at WVU Football. Um, all right, anything else on uh, on on what's next? Um, what do you think? I think that's yeah, that's all I got. Um, yeah, you want to do the season grades? Yeah, man, go ahead, uh, kick, kick us off. Yeah, so we did a midseason um, sort of scorecard, report card on all the position groups. So just running this back again now. Um, so we're starting with the quarterback room. I gave the quarterback room a B minus, and I think a lot of that was from the depth. Um, you got three different quarterbacks who figured out a way to win a game. Uh, obviously, JT was was solid at the beginning showed some flashes but then you know we had to keep moving along and i I actually really do like commend the guys for staying ready being prepared when their when their number was called and yeah just you know all in all there's not a lot of schools that could win with a second string and a third string you know throughout the year so i gave them a b minus overall yeah i was right in the same neighborhood i said c plus um just because so i i feel like jt was good for the first third Garrett and and uh, and then now Nico were good for for kind of the last third, but man the the October was a mess. You know you have the Texas Tech game, you have the Iowa State game. Um, I think you know parts of the TCU game were were really bad. Um, where you know we're leaning into JT and we're all asking questions. I mean you and I are talking every weekend. We're just like, is he hurt? He has to be hurt. Um, <clears throat> and so I think for that point, I I, w- I would slide it down a little bit lower. I will say, I you know, I mean, we've already kind of talked about. It. I do feel really good about the room heading into next year. I think, regardless of who, uh, of who ends up winning the job, whether that's Garrett or uh, or Nico, um, you know, I think it it caters more. It, it's crazy to me that like Neil, this guy who wants to play ultra conservative, you know, that hasn't leaned more into. Boy, it would help if I had a quarterback who could run the ball, as opposed to. <clears throat> you know, some sort of a passing game manager type, like a, like a JT or a, or a Daggy. But um, yeah, I mean, C plus, I, I thought they were, they were fine. Um, you know, I feel like a quarterback didn't really win us a game until Garrett came in against Oklahoma. So yeah, that's true. That's true. All right, cool. So moving to the running back room. So I gave the running back room an A um, and, and maybe in a similar thread of just the depth. And I feel like you were surprised enough times when the next guy in line stepped up. Um, you know, we're sitting here at game 12 and talking about how well the fourth string quarterback played or running back played. We had weeks where we were like, Justin Johnson was running hard. Obviously, we know CJ was was the man while he was healthy. And Mathis had, you know, some breakout games. I think you can't really ask much more of a running back room. So I gave him a solid A. Yeah, I think I, I was a little bit earlier or lower, but I, I want to revise it because, I, you know, you sold me. Like, they're really like having four dudes, uh, I think three of which ran for 100 plus yards. I think Johnson's the only one who didn't. Um, not, I don't think any other team in the Big 12 can say that. So, um, yeah, and like I said earlier, I think Anderson Anderson might be really fucking good. He might be really, really good at running back. So, um, <clears throat> man, if we can keep, if we can keep 
if we can keep even three of these four guys for, for next year, I'll feel really good. Obviously would love to keep CJ, but I think, I mean, Jalen Anderson is just as important at this point, in my opinion. Yeah. Cool. All right. So the wide receiver room, I went B minus. Um, I think the receiving room was different than the two we've already discussed in terms of, I don't feel like we had a lot of depth, but your top three, three and a half, four guys, you know, Bryce Ford Wheaton had, was hot and cold, you know, Prather was very solid. And then maybe a little dropped off towards the end, but you know, I think Prather was overall probably the best receiver we had, you know, Reese Smith had some stretches and he also had some catches. He had probably the most fantastic catches, you know, throughout the season. And Sam James, maybe even outside of receiver, like he had some sparks in like special teams and, you know, he made things, you know, I think those four guys were solid. I think Braham made some plays towards the end of the season, but after that, it's like, who do you have? I said B minus, you know, also just want to throw in, you know, obviously had some issues with drops. So it wasn't like this was the the strongest unit out there. Yeah, I said, I said C plus, um, you know, there was some good, there was some bad. I think, like you said, Prather was really our only relatively consistent playmaker, um, and then, you know, the unfortunate thing, like if you if you look at the the top top dudes by drops in the Big 12, we have Prather, James and, and Ford Wheaton, all three are in the top five. So I think you got to ding them. I mean, when they were good, they were really good. But when they were bad, they were really bad. So, yeah, C, C plus for me. Yeah. OK, so tight end room. Um I went with just a D here. <laughs> you know, Michael Laughlin, you know, the, he's obviously the injury. So we're looking at this as a season full of what did you get out of tight end? Um, and not a lot after Michael Laughlin went down. So yeah, went with a D. Yeah. I r- right there with you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just, just not a lot to say. Palende, uh, was, was sold as a blocking specialist who it turns out he can't really block. I want um, his age. I, you know, I think they're like Traylon Davis. There might be something there, but for whatever reason, we didn't, you know, he, he had a couple bad penalties and bad spots earlier in the year. And then it didn't seem like he ever really won the trust back of the, of the coaching staff. Um, but he did make some plays. I feel like in the last, you know, last what, three games or so where it's like, okay, I can kind of see how this guy could be a thing, but, but overall it was just, I mean, the worst, probably the worst single position group on our team. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, well, I mean, in the conversation for it anyways, as we'll, as we'll get to. Yeah. On the offense, I would say comfortably <laughs> the worst position group. Um, yep. So the last position group on the offense is the offensive line. Um, I gave them a B plus, you know, this was a, a much more experienced group. They took the lumps and, you know, even just thinking about it, B plus might feel low. I feel like the, where we have been over the last few years, you know, like year one or two, or according to Shane Lyons, year like negative one and zero. Um, th- th- those years, the <laughs> those years, the offensive line was like there was no chance to understand what else you had because the offensive line was like so undermanned. And where we were this year, I feel like they did enough that they were not holding us back. They were able to keep the playbook open. You felt like you could run the ball. You felt like you could pass protect. And they battled injuries and they did, you know, I think they did a great job. So I gave them a B plus, but you know, I, I think they did an awesome job this year. Yeah. They're generally pretty good. I thought, you know, we ran for, for 200 yards for four times against FBS opponents, got a, a, another 190 against Pitt. Um, so that's, that's pretty impressive in and of itself where you, you know, you're, you're going for two bills just about half the time that you, that you take the field. 
Um, and then just to, in terms of the individual stuff, you know, like if you look at the individual PFF grades, uh, Zach Frazier was the highest graded lineman in the conference. Um, and we had, you know, the, the sixth through eighth best uh, guards. So Nestor, um, Thomas Remich, and hold on, I had it up. Why, why am I not being able to think of the third guy? What am I doing here? Is yeah. it Miley? Gemiter. Gemiter. Yeah, sorry. I don't, I don't know why. But like all, all three of those guys graded out in the top 10 among guards. And then Wyatt Milam was like the, the fourth highest graded tackle. So, um, you know, you had a lot of really nice individual pieces. That, that right tackle spot kind of sunk us at times as we thought that it might. But yeah, generally they were, they were pretty good. Like you said, they, they gave, they gave uh, room to shine to, to some of our skill guys. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think they did a good job. And yeah, I mean, you had four solid dudes. And like I said, even when you got injuries, I feel like we had enough experience that we were able to to work through it. So we must all right. Go. Yeah. All right. I'll let you go first for the, the defensive rounds here. OK, yeah. So let's start with the, the defensive line. Let me pull up my grades and put it down. Defensive line, I said B plus. Um, you know, I think they were they were generally pretty good, especially once we started, you know, second half of the season, sending a little bit more pressure. Um, Dante Stills. Obviously, will be missed up there. Guy was the second highest graded defender overall in the in the conference according to PFF. Um, and I think especially, yeah, later in the season they started uh, making some plays, asserting their will. I think we saw that just with, uh, especially in the red zone, we were we really played a lot better in the second half of the season. So um, I said B plus. Yeah, I had him at a B. I think that Dante was especially good and especially consistent this year. I feel like he made a player two in every game that had impact. Um, and yeah, just like that consistent force. I'm really going to miss him on the D-line. Glad we could send him out with a win. Um, you know, I think my one critique, I think, in the run-stopping ability, the D-line was pretty solid. Um, you know, I think ask maybe a little bit more from the pressures department, but that could be an aspect of we just didn't send a lot of pressure. So um, all in all, yeah, I gave them a B. They definitely were not the weakest unit on this defense. Yep. All right, let's move on to uh, to linebackers. So I think I was a little higher in this group than you were, and uh, I don't know if that's maybe just because I consider consider Cox a linebacker or um, what, but I said, I said B. I think they were really bad for the first three or four weeks, and then <clears throat> as we uh, uh, hashtag TM – uh, C started playing to our strengths a little bit more, um, you know, started sending those guys, you know, Kogba started, started taking the shackles off and letting them, letting them attack the line of scrimmage. Um, I think, you know, he, he performed a lot better. Um, there's still plenty of room for improvement, uh, especially, you know, in terms of coverage, I feel like they, they still got in the wrong gaps, um, a lot, probably far too often. Um, but overall, I mean, between Kogba and then especially Jasir Cox, like second half of the season, once he kind of got his feet under him, um, I thought it was a pretty productive unit. You know, they they made a lot of plays, um, round the ball a lot, which I guess is you know what you'd expect from linebackers. But I thought they were I thought they were pretty good, especially during the second half of the year. Yeah, I think Cox is the hard one to classify. If you put him in the linebackers, maybe I'm a little higher. But I gave the unit a C plus. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, you mentioned it earlier in the season of just maybe not utilizing these guys in the best way. You know, like Kobo is not the dude I want in pass coverage, but I do want him, um, you know, in a straight line pass rush situation, something like that. Um, so, you know, also, I think I don't know if we got the 
the Koba that the hype, the preseason hype was pretty big for Koba. Yeah. And not that he had a bad season, but I think just, you know, with some of those aspects I just talked about, you know, obviously we lost um, Josh Chandler Samito. That trade off, um, I don't know. He was our leading tackler last year. So all in all, I gave this unit a C plus with Cox. Maybe I'll bump that a little bit higher because he was um, definitely a significant, significant um, contributor. So, but yeah, I was a little lower than you, a C plus there. All right, secondary last last group here, um, and I mean, there's there's not a, you know, they fought, the pieces were kind of the pieces, but, um, and you know, I think this was this group was as much of a liability as any unit from any team in the conference. You know, I just when when you look at the explosive plays, you know, it felt like even like you said earlier in the, in the games, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, where maybe they performed a little bit better. There were guys there were guys open who just didn't catch the ball because. Uh, you know, we're playing in a tropical tropical storm. Uh, only it was forty degrees outside. So I don't know. I think. I mean, I, I think we have to say Aubrey Burks. Uh, uh, you know, have to have to highlight him as a bright spot. He was the top graded safety in the Big Twelve this year uh, per PFF, fourth highest graded defender overall. Um, and and I think that's one where the eye test kind of confirmed that. You know, he made a ton of plays, but just you know, in general, the cornerbacks, especially. Um, you know, some of the angles, Mar- Mar- Marcus Floyd took some just really questionable angles all year. Um, I-, I think they were, they were bad. I don't know. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to bash the guys too much, but yeah, I mean, the secondary was very obvious that this was, you know, and probably the worst secondary in the conference. PFF has it as the fourth worst power five secondary, seventh worst in the country overall. Um, yeah, there were bright spots, um, but, you know, I think it was just too accustomed to just busted coverages people were figuring out how to attack us every week um and in several games that we even won i feel like there were dudes who were open and the other team was just dropping the ball you know i feel like both oklahoma and oklahoma state there were touchdowns that the other team dropped because of like busted coverage so you know this this was the unit that was holding us back obviously we had tons of turnover here um you know over the last year or two so you lose a lot of dudes. Yeah. Like you said, the room was what it was and, you know, just never really found their footing. So, uh, I gave them a D minus on the year. Oh yeah. I guess I should have, I didn't give my grade. I said D minus as well. So, all right. Special teams. I went with a C. I thought Ollie straw was good and pretty much everything else was serviceable at best. If, if not worse than that. So, um, I don't know. I mean, the fact we, we didn't have any sort of kick return game. Uh, we had one big play in the, in the punt return. Uh, game actually probably two we had a couple block punts but really one big punt return that got called back and other than that you know i mean field goal kicking let us down a couple times um yeah just just overall not not very good i think our net field position was you know in the bottom 15 or 20 in the country if you look at uh at parker's stuff just in terms of where we started where our opponents started so yeah i don't i don't think you can say this thing was anything better than a c yeah, I gave him a C as well. I mean, I think that they were non-impactful for the game. I think punting game was good with straw. I think kickoff and punt. I say kickoff, both sides were, were net negative. Punt, you know, we got a couple blocks. But other than that, I'd say net negative or, or neutral. In the field goal kicking, Casey was really solid. We never asked a ton of him. His long really wasn't. I don't even know if he kicked more than 40 yards this whole no. season. So he was pretty automatic for the most part close. But didn't ask a ton. Um, and then, yeah, we did have like a, a block extra point run back thing. That was, that was actually important, but yeah, I think all in all, 
did not decide a game. So I, I just said a C. So I'm right in the middle. All right. That brings us to the big one. I don't know if uh, I guess I'll go ahead and start here. I mean, we're, we're both the same, but just talking through the coaching. I said C plus, um, which may be higher than some people would say, but you know, it, it, lots of the same questionable decisions, lots of the same mistakes. Um, play calling was, was very, very predictable at points. Uh, but the, the team, you know, like you said, we, we broke, the team kept playing hard when there was nothing to play for. We broke a streak where we, you know, beat Oklahoma for the first time since we've been in the conference, beat Oklahoma state for the first time in seven years and break a 14 game home winning streak in the last game of the year when there's literally nothing on the line except for, Hey, let's go win this game. And so I I think there has to be something said for that. Right. Where, you know, clearly they're, they're selling something. They're motivating these dudes to keep fighting, keep playing. Um, and then, you know, like, I guess the, the, the recruiting, you know, we're, we're down the depth chart and, and you're starting to see some of that pay off where being down the depth chart doesn't kill us in, in certain mm-hmm. spots. So, um, yeah, I said C plus. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Um, you know, being a coach is a tough job, especially coaching, you know, players this age. There's lots of different things to manage. And obviously with all the new stuff, there's there's even more than ever. But, um, you know, I'd say my criticisms were I feel like we overthought things at times, like the not putting our players in the best position or, you know, not doing the things we're good at or, you know, making things simple for the secondary pass rushing when we knew we couldn't cover dudes. Um, I just feel like there were a lot of things that, you know, I don't know, I feel like we're not coaches, but also there, there were just things I feel like we were over overthinking and the way, you know, the coaches talked about in the press, that just was a little questionable, you know, some mismanagement as usual, the the timeouts were a thing, not as bad as in years past, but you know, the one that I remember recently was, you know, Neil calling a timeout at the end of the half, just to yell at the ref and, you know, just weird stuff like that, that it's whatever, but yeah, all in all, you didn't lose the locker room. You won two of your last three. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like kind of just net neutral, you know, in a bubble, it was whatever. You're only frustrated with Neil because this is the fourth year. But, um, you know, how many games did he himself win or lose this year? I don't know that it was much more or less than the average coach. That's 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 exactly what I was going to say is like you, you talk about like wins above replacement. Like mm-hmm. you could you could replace this staff with like another average coaching staff and have a five and seven season. I feel like, you know. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's a a C or a C plus grade. All right. Anything else on the, uh, on the, on the season grades wrap up? Yeah, that's all I got. Okay. Let's get into the recap. So Friday we had Texas playing Baylor. Texas needed to win to give themselves a shot with a Kansas state loss at the big 12 title. And they went out and took care of business. Uh, Bijan Robinson, I think had, you know, about 180 yards, two touchdowns with Bijan Robbo show, um, and Texas won 38 to 27. Um, still just, I mean, insanely high ceiling on that team. Just didn't see it enough this year. Yeah, that team's good. And there's going to be dudes in the NFL from that team that you're going to look back one year and be like, why did Texas never do anything? Because yeah. they got dudes. Um, I was starting to think they were going to blow this after that Quinn Ewers uh, sack fumble that was returned and things got hairy, but they closed it out. Um, you know, something that they've had trouble with in the past and they did their job on Friday, you know, they put themselves in position. So, you know, they played angry and handled business. So yeah, yeah good for Texas. Speaking of handling business, we have TCU 
just absolutely putting it on Iowa State. Um, you know, TCU comes in 11-0. They need to win to get to the conference title, but also to keep the, the shots of uh, the CFP alive. And, I mean, this one was just over early. Um, you know, I think the, the first time I checked in on the score, it was already 24 nothing. Um, and yeah, they end up hanging 62, which I mean, 62 is a lot on Iowa state, you know, say what you want about Iowa state this year, they were four and eight, but the defense was not the issue for them this year. So 62 is a ton. Yeah. 62 is a lot. Um, yeah, they had 34 points at half. I mean, they, they'd already put this away and, um, you know, at this point in the season, I was just happy to see TCU handle business, um, you know, for all the wins that they've had and all the talk people want to talk about the Big 12 schedule, I was glad they didn't goof up a, one of the easiest ones in the conference. So, yeah, I mean, they just they just throttled them. Those are two very different skilled teams right now. Yeah. Yep. All right. Then our third one, we have Texas Tech, I guess, outlasting. I don't know what the right right uh, word is there, but outlasting Oklahoma 51-48 in overtime. Um. Everybody's kicking Oklahoma right now while they're down, and I'm and I'm here for all of it. Uh, what did, what do you think about this game? Yeah, let it burn. I mean, honestly, since Oklahoma and Texas, so okay, so they before they announced they were leaving for the SEC, they were in like every one of the two. Have, we're in every conference championship game. Oklahoma's won the conference for forever, and then they announce in the two seasons following, neither of them even make the conference championship game, which the hateful eight loves. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this was a weird game. Oklahoma got off to the early start. Texas Tech, you know, rally. They had 23 points in the second quarter. Second quarter, yeah. Yeah, and then I know there was, like, a weird field goal thing with Oklahoma there at the end, like, if it went in or not. But, um, yeah, all in all, this is that weird late-season ball when you're not playing for a conference title, but you're already in a bowl-eligible space, so it's just, like, that weird in-the-middle area. Um, But, yeah, good for Texas Tech, 7-5 and in year one as well. Yet another, hey, look at that. Uh, hey, look at that, everybody. Really? All right, last game of the night. Again, like we said, Kansas State had the ball on their court. And they took care of business, 47-27 over Kansas. And in my opinion, they deserve their rematch. Um, you know, in a, in a, in a kind of just a wacky Big 12 season where every, every weekend's a coin flip, there were two consistent teams, in my opinion. And uh, Kansas State was one of them. Kansas State was, you know, one of the one of the more consistent teams, and so, uh, you know, good for them. Good for them. What are they? Is it nine and three? Nine and three. Yep. Nine and three. So, yeah, good for good for Kansas State. What do you think about this game? Yeah, a great season for them. They battled injuries, obviously, at the quarterback position. Deuce Vaughn stayed healthy all year and did his thing. He had like a buck fifty on the ground and like eighty yards and receiving this game. Um, yeah, Kansas State, you know, rivalry games, as you know, at the end of a season when things are on the line, weird things happen. Kansas State came out early and got up and then just kind of coasted from there. So it kind of, you know, took the air out in Manhattan. Kansas, after starting 5-0, and goes 6-6. Six and six. Um, Was that what West Virginia did that one Geno Smith year when they, they started? Yeah, yep. 5-0 and and in 6 the first and 6 big 12, The first Big 12 year, yep. So, I mean, I think when Kansas, you know, when Jalen Daniels got hurt, that was a lot more evident that that might happen. But, um, you know, good year for Kansas. And then, yeah, Kansas State, we get a double purple team rematch in the in the conference championship. So, yeah. All right. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. Um, so, I mean, what do you, what do you think? I, I haven't I haven't seen a line on the game yet. I imagine TCU is favored. Um, do you think that they get it done? Do you think that they they make the CFP? 
I am rooting for TCU to do it. I'm lo- I just checked the line two and a half to TCU um, over under 62. I think TCU has found a way to win all year and they are a complete enough team. Um, but in a similar way, Kansas state has kind of done the same thing. I mean, they they've had their slip ups, but um, Kansas state has equal, maybe equal number of weapons on the offense. They are almost on their like second iteration of offense this year with the, you know, yeah. kind of the, the halfway switch with the quarterback. Um, but you look at Kansas state and their loss was to lane early in the season by a touchdown ended up being a good team. They lost to TCU by 10 the last time they played and they lost to Texas by a touchdown. So, you know, they haven't been exposed in any game. They've played sound football and, uh, yeah, I think this is going to be an interesting game. I don't know, you know, should you root for TCU for the conference and for the underdog ish story for them to make it all the way, or do you want chaos and, you know, k-state to to wreck it and then you get ohio state probably in the playoffs so eh, pick your evil there yeah no no i think i think you want tcu to to get in there even if they get blasted like it wouldn't be the first time that somebody got blasted in the semifinal so yeah yeah go do it frogs do do your thing get in there all right any other uh, conference championships you want to talk about yeah it, you know it's interesting this year so you know just as a, a broad topic you know georgia's number one they're winning, they're in. Michigan is going to be two, winning, they're in against Purdue. TCU, you know, winning, they're in. I don't think there's any way you can deny that. And then, um, who am I missing here? What is the other team that is? So USC is sitting at five. They have Utah, right? Or is USC four? I forget. Uh, I think they're four now. Did they slide in there? Here, let's see. So Ohio State, I, I think all in all, the big thing is that Ohio State is sitting at like five and and they are the team that they need like one chaos thing to happen and and then they are in. Yeah, I'm pulling up as well. So, okay. So yeah, top five is Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC, Ohio State. This is not the college football official playoff or whatever, but it's the AP. Every other team, Bama sitting at six. They have two losses. Every team in the country underneath has two losses. So it's a five-team race at this point, I would imagine. And Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC, if they all win, they're all in. I think if any of them lose, Ohio State would slide in because they would have... The only thing that would be weird is if Michigan lost, what would happen between a Michigan-Ohio State where they both have a loss, one beat them head-to-head. So is Michigan like a lock already? I don't know. Um I think the way that Michigan beat them last weekend, uh, which was like a drum, uh, I think you still have to put Michigan in over. Like, if one of those two is getting in, it's Michigan, mm-hmm. in my opinion, even if they lose to Purdue. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, as it stands, and like I said, this is AP poll, not the college football official playoff poll, but, um, you know, you'd probably see a Georgia-USC opening game and then a TCU-Michigan Um I don't know how TCU would match up against Michigan. That's that would be an interesting if they could score enough um, against that kind of defense and, and that kind of like I don't know if they'd be able to stop the the running game with Michigan. That that would be an interesting one. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. the run, The running game would be <clears throat> um, would be the challenge. Uh, you know, as we saw for for Ohio State, like they kind of put it to bed with those explosive plays back to back, kind of in the fourth quarter. Um, I don't know. I think. 
I think the top four that it is now is it would be my preferred group, though. Like I, you know, I kind of want Chalk to win out here in this conference championship weekend. Let Georgia beat Georgia beat LSU, Michigan beat Purdue, TCU beat State, and USC to beat Utah, and just have that be the four in there, um, as opposed to, you know, some kind of stupid shit happening where Ohio State and Alabama get in there again. Because obviously that that's what's going to happen if two two of these teams lose. It's going to be if, those two that, that get two, in. So yeah, if two teams lose, the Bama versus the you know that would be really interesting because Bama has two losses, but they're two pretty good losses. So um, you know that'll be yeah. I think Tennessee's probably out. Penn State's out. Washington's out. Clemson's out. So yeah, I mean I think there's only six realistic, and Bama would need a lot of help to find a way in. Yep. Yeah, but no, I'll be, uh, yeah, there's honestly not as, I think maybe this is, feels like the first year where there's not like a win in your end game in terms of like a, a pseudo playoff game where it's like the two teams meet. It's usually like Georgia Bama is, yeah. is generally what it is, but, or, um, something like that, but yeah, it'd be a good, good one. And yeah, I mean, I'm excited for obviously the, the bowl season or really like the, you know, the new year six and, and playoff work. Also excited for basketball because, you know, turns out that might be a little bit exciting to watch this we're year. We're so good. <laughs> God damn, we're good. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess just, uh, oh, yeah, one last thing just to, you know, nobody knows what they're talking about in terms of the media, us included, I guess. We did our over-under wins at the beginning of the season. <laughs> we both went four out of ten. Um, so it wasn't our fault, though, because this season was absolutely crazy, so. It was crazy. Yeah, I mean, we both had Oklahoma over eight and a half. You know, obviously, you know, you had Kansas under two and a half. I had Baylor over seven and a half. Some some big misses there for for us. So, um, though we both did get under on Texas eight and a half. So that that feels good. Um, yeah. So feels good to win that one. Yeah, definitely. So that sort of wraps up West by Pod for this football season. Um, I think Jordan and I are going to take a hiatus as December basketball is pretty uh, thin. And uh, yeah, expect to, to get us back sometime around conference play and basketball. So be on the lookout. Um, you can find us at smokingmusket.com. Always put up an article when a pod comes out. We also have a Twitter account. It's at West underscore by underscore pod. Um, and then I'm at WV stats guy. He is at game day shorts. Um, yeah. So anything else you want to add Jordan? I'm great, man. All good here. All right. Well, thank you for listening and, uh, take it easy. All right, guys. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. 
Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.